And so Jalissa is going to read our sermon text, so please listen to the word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we give thanks today for who you are. God, we give thanks that you have made yourself known to us. God, we give you thanks for your goodness and for your loving kindness towards us. We give you thanks that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. So God, I pray that you will illuminate your word by your spirit this morning. Help us all to have ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, As some of you know, I get together with a group of friends every year that I went to college with. So we've been doing that now for over two decades. We get together for a long weekend and we rotate where we gather and who the host is. And sometimes we end up back in the town that we all went to college in. A few years ago, we were walking around on campus and walked into one of the main buildings where I had a bunch of classes. And we all kind of looked around and were reflecting and remembering things. And all of us said, this almost makes us want to go back to college again. Almost. I loved my time in college and seminary, but I am also glad that it is over. You know, lots of words come to mind for me when I think about college, fun, friends, dorms, grades, exams. But there is one word that could ruin your plans for a semester or even graduating on time, and that is the word prerequisite. You get all ready to sign up for a class, realizing that it has a prereq. Some other class that you had have already taken, but you didn't, so you can't sign up for the one that you want or the one that you need. We all have to deal with prerequisites in life. A prerequisite is anything that is required as a prior condition for something else to happen. For instance, there's a prerequisite to driving. Not anybody can just get behind the wheel. You have to be 16 years old, have to have taken driver's ed and passed a test. But one thing in life that absolutely does not have a prerequisite or any course requirements is God's grace. Right now we're in a sermon series in the book of Galatians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to a group of churches that he started, that he planted a number of years before. And he's writing to them because they're struggling right now. They're being tempted to abandon the good news of the real gospel for a false gospel. The real gospel says that Christ came and he lived a perfect life 
and he died on the cross in our place for our sin and rose again from the grave and that if we place our trust in him, our faith in him, then you and I can be reconciled to God. But this false gospel that's spreading among the churches brought in by false teachers says, no, 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 there's a prerequisite to getting God's grace, to being saved from your sin. And that is that you need Jesus, but you also have to essentially become Jewish. So Paul's fired up about this. But if that isn't enough, as we come to our text today, we learn that sometimes, sometimes even those who have walked closely with Jesus can get off track, can get out of step with the truth of the gospel, unintentionally overshadowing this free gift of grace. Now, you and I here today may not find ourselves being tempted to think that we have to become Jewish in order to be saved from our sin, to be reconciled to God, but all of us, whether we are already Christians or not, can be tempted to subtly believe or even communicate that there's something that we can do, there's something that we need to do in order to be good or to be right with God. So Paul's writing to the Galatians out of care and concern. He's telling them all of this in order to remind them, to show them and us that when we are out of step with the gospel, we miss the surprising reality of grace. When we're out of step with the gospel, we miss the surprising reality of grace. And so that's what we're gonna spend our time looking at today. So let's dive into Galatians 2 and may God bless the preaching of his word. In this section of the letter, Paul's been sharing quite a bit of biographical information. He's talked about how God not only saved him by grace, but commissioned him to go and take the good news of the gospel to the nations. Last week, we looked at an important meeting that Paul had with some of the Jerusalem apostles, Peter, James, and John, and how they added nothing to him or his message, but together affirmed that there is one gospel for all people. And that's all really good stuff that we saw last week. But then we get to our text today and it begins with the word, but. As Paul's sharing this story, he has something else to say. And this leads to our first point, getting out of step with the gospel. So let me read these first few verses and let's try to understand what is happening here. Verse 11, it says again, but when Cephas, which is another name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We just saw last week that Peter gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul, saying we're all together in this. He's affirming Paul, affirming the gospel that he preaches, this gospel of grace. But now, all of a sudden, Paul says... He had to confront Peter to his face. Paul says he stood condemned. That's strong language. Like what in the world happened? Well, Paul lays out the situation for us. Peter, who normally resided in Jerusalem, at that point in time, that's kind of where the center of everything is taking place for this, the church, the early church. He'd come to Antioch. And this is where Paul is living, where his home church was at the time. Antioch's one of the largest cities in the empire at that time. It was an eclectic place, a multicultural place. The church in Antioch was made up of all kinds of people from all over that region. And while Peter was in Antioch, he'd been hanging out with the people there in the church, mostly Gentiles. Gentile is a word for people that are not Jewish. 
Now, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us, but it was a big deal for Peter. It was a big deal for other Jewish Christians. See, God's law under the old covenant established ceremonial laws, laws that pertain to the cleanliness of people and of food. And so God's people had to do something in order to be able to worship him. They had to do something in order to be able to come into his presence. And when it came to eating, there were certain foods they were not allowed to eat. There were even directions and matter about how you cooked certain things. The Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, though, didn't follow this law when it came to things like eating. But when Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws of God. Jesus declared that all things are made clean, not by our actions, but by his shed blood. And so now access to God is granted, a way has been made because Christ fulfilled the law through his perfect life. And he took on the punishment for our sin and the rebellion that we deserve so that the, in the world so that unholy, unclean people could be made clean, could be made new, not by what we do, but by what he has done for us and allow us to be brought into God's presence. See, Peter knew, had declared that no one is unclean any longer because of our sin or because of following certain rules or not following them if we are in Christ, if we've placed our faith in Jesus. He knew that there was no food that was now unclean in Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision there and it's declared that everything is clean in and through Jesus. So Peter, a man who had practiced these food laws at one point in time, was now eating with Gentiles in a Gentile way. I don't know exactly what they were eating, but they were having a good time, maybe eating some pulled pork sandwiches. But he knew, he knew, he believed that the reason he could do that was because Jesus had fulfilled the requirements of the law. It wasn't like he just rejected that any longer. It had been completed in Christ. Peter understood the freedom that the gospel brings into our lives and the unity the gospel creates by bringing people from all different backgrounds, all different life experiences together into one people, one family, regardless of who they once were. But then some other people show up. People who, Paul tells us, were associated with the apostle James. They were Jewish Christians. Now, there's two different things going on here. He says this group come, shows up, and then he also talks about this group called the Circumcision Party. That's not a political party. It's a group of people that said that you needed to be circumcised, which is part of the entrance into the people of God under the old covenant. I don't think it's the same group of people. I think there's these Jewish Christians coming down from, or coming up really from Jerusalem to Antioch here, but they're aware of these false teachers. They're affected by this group of false teachers. So these men show up in Antioch while Peter is there and he sees them and he balks. And we don't know exactly what happened. Does Peter see them and think and, or say, or they think, or they say to him, what, what's he doing? Peter, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. What would the people back home in Jerusalem think? They saw what you're doing now. Or maybe they didn't say anything to Peter. Maybe he just saw them and assumed what they might think. Let me give a little bit of a parallel example for us to maybe help us understand here. It'd be like you being here in Northern Virginia, a multi multicultural area, and spending time with people of multiple ethnicities who are believers, who are no Christ, eating with them, having different people into your home, but then some people from your hometown show up. 
And in your hometown, Christians that are of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, do not eat together. Don't spend time with one another. They live on that side of town. We live on this side of town. We don't do that. And maybe you see these people and you think, man, what are people back home going to think about what I'm doing? I better not eat with these people who are different from me, at least until that group goes away. Or maybe these people speak to you and say, what are you doing? You know there are people in our hometown who would look down on you right now for doing this. If they knew what you were doing, they'd be disgusted by it. They might not even listen to anything that we have to say about the gospel. They might think if the gospel that you're sharing, this good news that you're sharing is for those people, then I don't want anything to do with it. So Peter either hears something like this or thinks something like this when these people show up and he separates himself from the Gentiles, from his brothers and sisters in Christ. He stops eating with them. He goes back to only eating what's approved by the law. No more pulled pork sandwiches. Just a kosher meal. Why does he do that? Because he thinks that's right? No, because he was afraid, it tells us in verse 12. He was afraid See, fear of man drove Peter to act in contradiction to the gospel he believed. And in verse 13, Paul calls this hypocrisy. Being a hypocrite is pretending to be something that you aren't or don't truly believe. When you and I live out our, I live out our gospel convictions in one situation, but then cover them up in another, that's hypocrisy. When we fear social ridicule or ostracism, even from other believers, we tend to play the hypocrite, covering up what we truly believe to make things go easier for us. It would be easier, Peter thought, if he just separated from the Gentiles for a time. After all, it is just eating together. It isn't that big of a deal. But as one scholar said, when the fear of people overcomes the fear of God, we are likely to deny the gospel. And Paul sees it as exactly that. Peter is denying the gospel that saved him because of his fear of what others might think about him. And Peter has struggled with this before. Go back and see when he denied Christ three times, he was afraid of what others might think of him. So he has this struggle in his life. So the gospel of grace creates unity. It creates one family by grace with no additional requirements, no prerequisites. Ephesians chapter, chapter two tells us that the dividing wall of hostility that stood between Jews and Gentiles has been torn down in Christ. And Peter knows that. He's preached that. And here his actions deny it. This may not seem like that big of a deal to us, but this is no small thing because it's communicating to new followers of Jesus, to new churches, something false about the gospel, something false about grace. And Paul knows and sees that Peter, who's a leader in the church, that his hypocrisy is like a virus. It subtly and quietly spreads and starts to infect others. Look at verse 13 again. It says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, excuse me, acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, the guy who's gone out and planted churches with Paul, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So it's not just Peter that's now separating himself. It's a whole group of people. We need to understand this is a critical moment in redemptive history. What seems like maybe a minor thing, maybe a tiny fracture in this one little local church 
could easily become a widening, gaping hole and eventually shatter everything creating essentially two churches who preach two different gospels. One that says it is Jesus plus nothing and another that says it's Jesus plus something that will enable you to be accepted by God. To Paul, this is a very serious public culture-shaping issue, so he confronts Peter publicly. He has to. Verse 14 But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, and he's talking about the law there, you're you're not following the Old Testament law in this way, but then how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you make them think that they have to do that? Now, in our passive-aggressive world where critique and rebuke is often taken up via social media, This seems really strong. He's opposing him to his face in public. But Paul's not trying to shame Peter. He's seeking to preserve the gospel for the sake of all the church because, again, Peter is an influential leader in the church. Now, a quick side note here. Now, Paul's telling a story, so we always have to remember, just like when we've walked through Acts before, that what's going on here is descriptive, not prescriptive. He's not telling us what to do here in this moment necessarily, but I think there's still something we can learn from what Paul does here. And that's that even that that Paul has this willingness, he has this burden to confront Peter. He is willing to have a hard conversation because he believes the gospel is on the line. Paul's not afraid to confront Peter in a clear and significant way because the stakes are so high. There's risks certainly involved in this, but it's a risk worth taking for the purity of the gospel. So here's the deal. If you or I see someone in our community who seems like they're starting to stray away from the gospel in some way, then in love, be willing to go to them and call them back to what we all know is true. To who is true? To Jesus. Maybe that person you see that is straying away from the gospel, that's getting out of step with the gospel, they may not even realize it. So they need the community of their brothers and sisters to come alongside and bring them back to that. All of what Paul has observed is an example of what it means to get out of step with the gospel. And he's trying to help Peter. He's trying to help these other believers see that he's strayed away from what he already knows to be true, even if it is unintentional. The end of verse 14, what he's essentially saying is, Peter, you're living in the freedom of the gospel already. How can you ask others now to become enslaved to the law? The law you know that Christ fulfilled. Peter, you know better. By his actions, Peter's communicating that what we do or don't do is connected to whether or not God accepts us or not. Now, obedience matters in the Christian life. God has called us to walk in obedience to him, to follow after Christ, but obedience in the Christian life is not in order for you or me to gain God's favor. It's not in order for us to be seen as pleasing to God. It flows out of already being given God's favor. Our obedience now in Christ is an outworking of the work that God has already done in giving us a new heart and giving us a new life and pouring out his grace on us in and through what Jesus has done. And Peter knows that. It's what makes him hypocritical. He knows something to be true, but he's acting contradictory to that truth. On the way to my parents' house, from my house, you have to turn on a street called Stoneheather Drive. And every year, on a certain stretch of that road, during the winter months, there are like a bajillion potholes. They're pretty much unavoidable, especially at night. Some are small, some could swallow your car. 
And if you hit one just right, or you hit a lot of them over a period of time, it's gonna mess with your car. It's gonna jack up your car. It might cause your car to get out of alignment. And when your wheels are not aligned properly, your car doesn't perform the way it's supposed to, and eventually your tires will wear unevenly and wear out a whole lot quicker. But that getting out of alignment can be subtle. When you and I forget what Jesus alone has done for us, when we forget the unity and the freedom that the gospel creates, that it brings, we're getting out of step with the gospel, we're not aligned. And when we're not aligned, when we get out of alignment, we can become ineffective and don't live in the peace and the joy in our own lives that God provides through Christ for all people. That's what Paul is fighting for in this confrontation with Peter. That's why he's writing it to the Galatians now to remind them, to remind us as we sit here in Fairfax in 2023 of what Jesus and Jesus alone has already accomplished. Now again, I don't think that what Peter does here is necessarily on purpose or malicious. Obviously, he did it volitionally, but not thinking through, oh, I think now we need to do something in order to earn God's grace or God's favor. I think he subtly slipped into hypocrisy. He unintentionally got out of step with the gospel. And it's something that can happen to any of us. Just like potholes in the dark, you and I can stumble out of step with the gospel like Peter without even realizing it. We hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we seek to self-justify. We can do this whether we're Christians or not. We make up laws and rules in our heads, whether religious or irreligious, and we think if we can just keep them, then we feel good about ourselves, feel better about ourselves. If you are a follower of Christ, it can be when you say or believe I'm closer to God, I'm accepted by God because of who I am, because of what I do or what I don't do, whether I have a good day or a bad day. If you ever find yourself at the end of the day kind of thinking through the day and you feel like, okay, I'm a good Christian today versus being a bad one today, that's, that's starting to get in that place of self-justification because there's not a lot of Jesus in that, just a whole lot of you. We hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we change our behavior because of fear of what other Christians might think about us, how they might judge us. We hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we elevate our personal preferences and opinions to the place of gospel significance. When we either think we have to abide by certain education choices or parenting choices or music style, or expressiveness, whatever it happens to be, or we look at others and think they should be doing all of those things if they're really gonna be good Christians. We hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we subtly, or not so subtly, slip into legalism and bind other people's consciences over those same non-gospel things. You and I can hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we raise our religious traditions to the place of non-negotiables. We hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we fracture off as a church because you know what? Sometimes it's just too hard to be in community with people who are different than us, ethnically, politically, socioeconomically. Let me give a quick aside here to my brothers and sisters who are a part of a minority culture. I know, I know it is challenging at times for you to be here. 
Thank you for your courage, for your perseverance, your willingness to overcome obstacles in an effort to be a more diverse group of Christians. It's something we all need to work towards. But as you do that, you are keeping in step with the gospel. You and I can hit potholes and get out of step with the gospel when we live in or promote disunity among our brothers and sisters in any form or fashion. Listen, any time, any time that you or I allow our differences with one another, whatever they may be, to become disqualifying characteristics of being in community with one another, we're out of step with the unity and the freedom of the gospel. We're out of step with grace. Brothers and sisters, God isn't forming a Christian subculture. He's conforming all of us together to the image of his son by convicting us of our actual sin, by reminding us of his insane grace, by helping us to walk in the light of our new unshakable identity in Jesus. That's what it looks like to keep in step with, with the gospel instead of being out of step with it. The gospel has formed a new people. It's the gospel alone, Jesus alone, that has unites us together, not the rules and regulations that we follow, no matter how good they might actually be, how helpful they might be. It's the gospel that unites us together as a new people all because of grace. It's not our likeness that unites us together. It's not our sameness that unites us together. It's Jesus that unites us together. Jesus and him alone. That's what Peter forgot in this moment. That's what he missed. And that's why Paul confronted him and is telling the Galatians and us all about it. Pastor Tim Keller wrote, Christian living is a continual realignment process. Continual realignment process. So let me ask you, where might you need a grace realignment in your life right now? Where might you have gotten out of step with the gospel, even if it was unintentional? See, throughout our lives, we need to continually realign our hearts and our minds back to grace because there are so many potholes along the way that will get us off track. That's what Paul's trying to do for Peter, for the Galatians, and for us. And the way we do that is the way that Paul does it, which leads to our second point, grasping the surprising reality of grace. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. What Paul says in these two verses is so important, we're going to take two weeks to look at them. We're going to talk about them today and again next Sunday. If what we've covered so far in Galatians is somewhat like a prologue, what he says here is essentially the thesis statement of the whole letter. Notice what he says here. A lot of scholars debate whether he's still speaking to Peter or talking about what he said to Peter. But either way, he starts off by saying, look, we think as Jews that we are different, that we're better. Because we are God's chosen people. We're the ones he gave the law to. We aren't like those Gentile sinners who don't have the law, who don't try to keep the law. But then he says, yet. We could translate that, that word, but. He says, yet or but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now to be justified is to be made right with God, to be declared by God, to be righteous 
able to be in relationship with him. See, the reality is all of us stand condemned before him because of our rebellion, because of our sin. All of us, when we're born into this world, have said, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And so we deserve God's wrath. We deserve his punishment. We stand condemned before him. And so to be justified is for God to declare about us that we're no longer condemned. We're forgiven. We are reconciled. Doing works of the law is trying to obey a moral law or ceremonial law or do something, anything to be made right with God. And in some ways that makes sense to us. In life, we do in order to receive. You go to work and you get a paycheck. We live in a meritocratous kind of society where we do in order to receive, or if we don't do, we receive the consequences of that. So that idea makes sense to us, but that's not the reality of the gospel of grace. There is nothing you could do, nothing you can do, never do enough in order to reconcile yourself to God on your own. You can't do that. The consequences of our sin are too great for you to fix that problem. But the good news of grace says to you, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done it all for you. He lived a perfect life. He died in your place. He rose again. All so that you could be declared righteous and reconciled and restored to a real and eternal relationship with the living God. But Peter's actions and those that follow him communicated something different and dangerously wrong. It said Jesus needed to die, but that wasn't enough for you to be made right with God. You need to add to it. You need to do something else. You need to follow the law. You need to eat certain kinds of food and stay away from other kinds of food. It communicated there are some prerequisites to getting God's grace. So Paul's seeking to remind Peter, seeking to remind us, we know. He says that. We know this, Peter, church. We know that someone can't make themselves right before God by what they do. We know that someone is justified, the way they're justified is through faith in Jesus. This isn't faith in an abstract idea. It isn't blind faith or wishful thinking. What Paul's talking about here is not simply believing cognitively in our heads that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It's believing into Jesus. It's a deep trust and commitment to Jesus. I could look at a chair on the front row here and say, I believe that chair can hold me. I understand how chairs work. Four legs, we're good to go. But I can believe that. I know that cognitively. I see it and believe it has the ability to do it. But that's not faith in the chair. Faith in that chair is actually sitting in it, putting all my weight on it and allowing it to hold me up. But kind of what's going on here with Peter, what Paul is trying to correct here is me. It's like me looking at that chair, thinking it can hold me up. But just in case it can't, I'm going to put some pillows around it. I'm going to put some other things there just to support it, just in case, just in case it won't actually hold me. In that moment, my faith is not in the chair. It's in my ability to mitigate falling. See, the faith that saves you, that reconciles you to God, is not a faith that adds anything to Jesus. Like, Jesus, I know you died for me, but just in case I need to add a little bit more, I'm going to go do that. The faith that saves you is a faith that says, I have nothing but Jesus and what he's done for me. It's hard to believe you have to do nothing, can do nothing, can bring nothing. But that's the surprising reality of grace that Paul is reminding us of. There are no prerequisites for it. 
That's what makes it so extraordinary, even outrageous to think about. Again, Tim Keller speaking on this says, in order to become forgiven and restored and made new, all you need is nothing. All you need is need. The only prerequisite to be justified, the only thing you bring to the table is your sin and recognizing your need for a savior. We're gonna sing two songs in a moment and they both put it well. One says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Another says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, including Peter, is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Peter, you know this. Galatians, you know this. Redeeming Grace Church, you know this because you've believed it, if you've believed it. So now, instead of getting out of step with the gospel, grasp onto the surprising reality of grace that comes through what Christ has done and keep coming back to it again and again and again. It really is Jesus plus nothing who enables you to be reconciled to God. And that is always and forever good news for all of us. We never move on from that. See, this reality of being justified by faith and not by works, it's theological in nature. This idea of being forgiven by God, his wrath satisfied in and through Christ, it is a theological statement, but it's also relevant for our everyday lives. When you're in that meeting on a Tuesday afternoon, when you're navigating around piles of laundry at your house that you still haven't done or hung up or put away, when you wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, when you grasp what Paul's saying here, when you grab onto grace, it allows you to have peace, whether you've had a good day or a bad day, whether you've loved your kids perfectly or yelled at them all week, whether you did the right thing, all the right things at work or all the wrong things this week, it gives you peace because it grounds you in something, in someone outside of yourself, bigger than yourself. What Paul's talking about here and why he needed to confront Peter on this is because what he's talking about being justified by God in and through Christ alone, it dismantles both self-righteousness that I can and need to do more and it dismantles self-loathing that I can never do enough. Yeah, you can't, but Jesus did it all for you. It dismantles those things because it places your identity and your confidence of your standing before God not on you and how well you perform, but on someone else, on Jesus. And church, in that is freedom. So listen, if you find yourself this morning recognizing, realizing that you've gotten out of step with the gospel in some way, that you find yourself trying to justify your, yourself in some way, as we all have, as I know I have so many times, listen, this same grace, this surprising grace that Paul's talking about here and he's gonna continue to talk about in this letter is still for you just like it was for Peter. Paul's correction was not Paul canceling Peter. No, he's restoring him. He's restoring him, and we see that Peter gets it. Go read First and Second Peter, written after this moment. And also, if you know or are realizing you've never truly 
really repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus alone, or if you are recognizing, I've believed a little bit in Jesus, but I've done a whole lot of trying to do this on my own. If you've never really placed your faith in him, like really truly entrusted the entirety of who you are, put all of your weight on Jesus. Let me encourage you, implore you to do that now. Come just as you are in all the mess and grab a hold of the grace that God offers you in Christ. Friends, when grace is championed, grace wins the day. It's medicine to our soul. Grace overcomes condemnation. It pulls us back from legalism. It keeps us from licentiousness. It has no prerequisites to get, no course requirements to maintain. God's grace is amazing and it's good and it's free and it's true and it's ridiculous and it's outrageous and it's never ending and it's sufficient for all people in all time for all eternity. You and I cannot out God's grace or outdo God's grace. So let's be a church that champions this outrageous grace. Let's be a community that if the world looks at it, is only explainable because of this gospel. Amen. You know, one of the ways that we can be reminded of the surprising reality of grace and take hold of it to help us not get out of step with the gospel is by taking the Lord's Supper together. Because in this meal, we're reminded of and refreshed in the reality that Jesus willingly laid down his life to become a substitute for you and for me. And so we eat the bread, a picture of his body broken and given for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus's blood shed for us. We come to the table to receive it. We don't bring anything with us. So for those of you who will eat and drink today as you do, let me encourage you to remember that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that enables you to be justified and made right with God. You can add nothing to what he's already accomplished. No matter what kind of week you've had, listen to me, if it's been a good week or a bad week, run to Christ. Run to him and rest in his grace. In a moment, we're going to Uh, Just have space and time for you to come and receive the elements. There's stations all along the front here and the back corners and along uh, the the railing and the balcony. Come whenever you're ready. If you want to pray and process, if you recognize a need to repent or confess, take time to do that. Whether you get the elements first or come up in a few moments, there's space for you. We want you to commune with God in this moment, surrounded by your family of brothers and sisters who are united together because of Jesus. So if you're feeling condemnation this morning, not remembering grace, if you find yourself trying to do and not remember what Christ has done, eat and drink this meal today, but also look around. Remember, you're surrounded by people who love and care for you and want to help each other follow after Jesus. For those who aren't yet followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward and take the elements This is a meal for those who've already placed their faith in Jesus. So if you haven't done that yet, first off, know that we're glad that you're here. But instead of coming forward, take this time to do the same thing. Commune with God. If you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, tell God that. And let somebody around you know afterwards. We'd love to help you in your journey, your spiritual journey. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your grace. God, it is outrageous and lavish. God, sometimes we forget it. So God, forgive us for where we have acted hypocritically. God, forgive us for where we've drifted from the gospel, where we've tried to add to what Christ has done for us. 
God, forgive us for where we've gotten out of step with the gospel. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment, even as we take communion now, the Lord's Supper now, would you help us to grasp the surprising reality of grace again? As we go into the week and the days ahead, help us to root ourselves in that, to never stray away from that. Help us to help one another do that for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Come